Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Have you ever had a huge aha moment in your life where you realize, oh my gosh, that thing that I thought was real, it totally wasn't? Or maybe you say to yourself, wow, that was totally not what I made it out to be in my mind. Today, we're going to talk all about these situations that we call the many mirages of life. Hey, if you have found any value in this episode or any other, will you do me a big favor and just push pause and really quickly go leave us a rating or a review? It helps us so much with other people finding the podcast. Neil, do you know what I did for my job during my junior year of college during Christmas break? No. Please enlighten us. Okay. It's pretty boring. I studied in depth the works of Soren Kierkegaard at the like Museum of Family History or something like that. I just like read through all of these fish what is it called? It's like fishing tapes or something. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay, that's, well. That's no idea what you're talking about. Super fascinating. I'm sure we're really giving people a great hook right now. But anyway, Soren Kierkegaard, he actually said some really smart things, including this quotation, life can only be understood backward, but it must be lived forward. That's a good one. It's a good I like one, it. Huh? So today I thought we could talk about the many mirages of life. Do you know what a mirage is? I do know what a mirage is. I always think of a desert and like people looking into the desert and in like the the heat wave. And then mm-hmm. there's like, it looks like there's a city or something. Fifo goes west. Plants coming out of the desert with water. Or what I don't know. Yeah. Did you ever watch Fifo goes west? I did. It's been a while, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, that's where I learned what a mirage is, where he thinks that he sees his family and then he realizes that it's a cactus. So there are many mirages in life. So let's just start with one of the first ones I thought of, which is everyone else is richer, skinnier, more confident, just in general that like everybody else kind of has it figured out. Everyone's cooler than me. Everyone's better than me. Have I mean, an idea? Have you ever felt that way? Yeah, a lot of times. I think it's just kind of such as like I just keep thinking of middle school for some reason right now, which you just I don't know if that's how it is for everybody, but that's just middle school. Oh, middle school for me, I feel like was more like just this peak of awkward nerdiness where I just felt like such an absolute misfit. And then it got a little bit better in high school and even better in college. But I feel like I wasn't totally socially aware of everybody else has it figured out that kind of a mentality until I got to college. But I remember feeling like, oh, my gosh, everyone here is an 11 out of 10. Everyone here is pretty and funny and has a testimony and is smart and is studying a double major and has a job on the side. and speaks three languages. I mean, I just felt like 
everyone was a dazzler. And I was kind of just like, I don't know, (laughs) trying to rise to the top of the cream of the crop. I, I don't even know how to explain it, but I just remember feeling like everyone brought, yeah, their 11 out of 10 game to the table and that everybody else had it figured out. I'm laughing right now because I'm having this flashback. So serving a mission for our church, the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, like, and I, there was a missionary I worked with. He, I, I think we talked to him, like he called back to the area that we were in or like talked to a member and we happened to be there. And so we got to talk to him after he returned, like he got back from his serving and we served around him. And yeah, I'm like, so how is it, man? Like, are you out hanging out? Like how I was dating or whatever. And he's like, dude, like all the girls, you're a term missionary. They like, they love you. They like, think you're so awesome. So I had it in my head. I'm like, oh man, like I'm going to come back. And I served a mission. And like in my mind, for some reason, like that set it up to be like, I'm going to get like so many dates and girls are just going to love me. And I remember going, like, the big thing to do in Utah at that time was to go country dancing, which I think that you you frequented. This was back when it was, like, Trolley Square forever ago down in, in Salt Lake City. And so I go there, and I am just, like, a dime a dozen. Like, there are just return missionaries everywhere. You didn't get and a gold star. that, I'm just, like, like, an awkward, weird totally non-stylish like just felt like the biggest loser and I'm like everyone is so much cooler than I am and they're all doing these dance moves with all these super cute girls and like I just I'm like wow I just am a I'm just another number here and and like couldn't even hold a conversation with without being weird well the mirage I think is that everybody else has figured out how to just perfectly fit in and they have no insecurities and they just feel great all the time. It's totally a lie. There's nobody that feels that way. Everybody has their own little things. I mean, I think some people have done enough self-development work to figure out where they're getting a really solid grasp of their confidence from more so than others. But especially at a young age, it's not like there are a good mass amount of the population that just feel wakes up and feels confident every day. <laughs> I just think it's a thing that so many of us wake up feeling like, oh, like I'm falling short here. I'm not enough there. I wish I was a little bit more this or I wish I was more like that. And like, look at these people. They've They've got what I don't have and they've got it all figured out. And the truth is nobody has it all figured out. I would agree. I think really, I mean, I always find a way to bring this back to recovery, but that's where I learned the truth of kind of where everyone's at. I think when you get people in a room and they're all together and there's a common struggle and people are being super, super honest with themselves and with everybody in the room, because it's a place where you can set up that type of an environment that's safe to where people can be that way. Suddenly you do realize that, that it's like, man, everyone, everyone's dealing with a major struggle and a major challenge. And then two, like everybody feels that same way. And it's all walks of life. It's like, 
people that you would look at and be like, man, you look like you've got it all together and that you've got everything that anybody would ever want. Even people who are, are struggling or going through different challenges or whatever, a lot of times they have so many like amazing things to share and so much wisdom that you're like, wow, I can learn so many good things from this person. And were it not for this opportunity to learn from all walks of life, like I wouldn't get this experience, but I would have quickly judged that interaction if it was just out in the world somewhere, like just being the way we are as humans sometimes. So it's, it's interesting think about. So here's another mirage that I think you, I watched you get over, which is if everybody knew the worst thing about me, then people would reject me. Like if everybody knew I had this big flaw or flaws, or if you weren't just leading with all of your wins, if you actually opened up about a loss or a, a flaw, then everybody would reject you or people just would not want to give you the time of day. Didn't you? I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth. How did you feel about that before you opened up about your recovery publicly? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that was something that I remember feeling in my addiction, like I would rather die than anybody know about this. Like even somebody who I should talk to, like a bishop, and like that was just even so hard for me the first time being like a 17-year-old kid sitting down with my bishop and just being like, hey, I struggle with pornography. and even saying that out loud, I'm like, oh, like I, like I couldn't even say it because I was so ashamed. Let alone telling anybody, really mm-hmm. telling you later when we started dating. But I think what I did realize, and and through the experience of going through that, and not that that's like everyone needs to just kind of come out and throw throw everything out. I mean, that was a decision that I made that we made. But I did notice that. All of the fears that I had, I have not been founded. I've yet to have, knock on wood, and I I don't know, maybe I will have some interaction or something somewhere along the lines, like a negative experience, like a significant negative experience where someone's like awkward or whatever. Like maybe, I don't know, maybe there is talk somewhere, I'm sure there's something mentioned or whatever, but I'm like, it's kind of ignorance is bliss. I'm like, okay, whatever. (laughs) I don't, I don't know. But yeah, basically all of the things that I was so afraid of, none of them were, were well founded. So if you as the listener are listening to this and that message rings true for you somehow where you're like, yeah, this, I have this thing that I feel like if people knew about me, they would reject me or they would never think the same of me. Think about the last time someone opened up to you and they were really vulnerable with you about where exactly where they're at in life, maybe something they're struggling with or something that they feel inadequate in or something that's shameful or embarrassing or hard and how you felt when that person opened up to you. And I'm thinking back to the interview that I did with Dave Hollis and he opened up just a little bit on the public interview that we did. But then after he was so cool, he stayed on with me for like an hour and he was just like opened up to me about kind of everything in his life. And it made me love him so much more to just feel like, wow, this person trusts me and he's just going to like kind of tell me everything exactly the way it is. And that's how I feel about people. Like I just feel like it, it, 
deepens your compassion for them. I can't think of a time when someone came to me like in a lot of humility or just trying to figure themselves out or or seeking to better themselves and told me something that they're struggling with for me to then be like, oh, wow, like I didn't know about that about them. And now I kind of think less of them. I've never had that experience. Have you? No, I don't can't can't say that I have. But that is the mirage, right? Is like, oh, if everybody knew that I was flawed in this way, then people would never think the same of me. Yeah. But it's a lie. It's just not true. And even if somebody does think less of you, it really says more about them than it does about you. Because we're all just humans that are trying and improving and getting better. For sure. Oh, another one. This is a good one. You ready for this one? I'm ready. No one is suffering like I am. I mean, how many times have you felt? I know I felt that most of my life. I think until I was in recovery, until I started hearing these super raw stories about other people. And not only did it put into perspective for me, like, oh, I'm not the only one suffering and really, really struggling through hard things. What I think is just like the hardest thing ever. But also I would hear other people that were going through things that were were actually a lot worse than I was going through. And I was like, oh, this, this kind of puts it into check. I remember just feeling so bad about something I had done that made me feel like I was a bad mom. And we went to a meeting and there was a parent there who was talking about detoxing and laying on the couch all day while they detoxed from something gnarly like heroin or cocaine. And their kid sat on the floor and watched TV literally the entire day. And the only thing this parent detoxing could do was just open a box of raw cereal and just let their kid eat like dry cereal all day and sit and watch TV. And I was like, okay, (laughs) it puts, it puts my problems or whatever at that moment. And whatever I was shaming myself about being a bad mom into perspective where it was like, wait, there's definitely bigger problems out there that I could be having right now. And whatever this is that I'm dealing with, I, we can get through it. I can figure it out. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I just heard a story of a good friend in a meeting a couple of weeks ago where he just talked about that. He's like, went golfing with a buddy and heard about just some challenges that he was facing and, and kind of went home to his wife after golfing and was like, Hey, we don't have any issues. Like we've got a bunch of first world problems and we just need to be thankful for what we have. Cause after talking to his, his friend, it was like a total check. And I, I've had that experience a lot of times too. I think just going and hearing something that somebody's going through or a major physical health challenge or something with your kid, the uh, like a physical health challenge with your kid, or there's so many different things that are out there. And, and not that there needs to be a comparison or like, yeah, this know, isn't comparative it, it suffering. Like a, there's a lot of different nuances that can come about in that. But, but I think at the same time, it just does bring it back to, okay, maybe I need to look at the way that I'm dealing with my life and how I'm interpreting it and where my gratitude level is or ingratitude level or victim mentality is, is at, because that's something that I struggle with is just kind of feeling like, Oh my gosh, kind of, why is this happening? Feeling bad for myself. And that's one of the things it talks about in the AA big book, like 
being free or watching out for self-pity or self-doubt mm. and how that can affect you in, in a really negative way. And, and that's led me to do some really unhealthy things and really pushed me farther into addiction because it, for me, it, it gave me at times where I made really bad choices kind of to, to veer in a bad direction the license that I used in my mind to get me there was coming from a victim standpoint of like, well, this is just isn't working. So therefore I'm going to go do this or forget it. I'm going to stop trying to live to these high ideals and gospel principles that I've been living because I feel slighted in this way. And it's, it's just, I think the adversary gets into your head and uses that as, and just weaponizes it to get you to do things that are unintelligent. Mm. Yeah. Where I think that you can hear other people's experiences and have a gratitude check or a perspective yeah, check. And those are, way. yeah, those are really positive ways to hear other people's experiences. And then just remind yourself kind of like a wake up call, like, Oh, wait, this is what I'm going through. It's okay. I can figure it out. This isn't the end of the world. Or wait, I need to remember that there are things to be grateful for. I'm not saying minimize whatever you're going through or don't feel your feelings. But I think that sometimes realizing, oh, I'm not the only one in pain. The universe does not revolve around me. There are other people who are suffering and there's a lot of work to be done. So sitting in your pity party for a long time doesn't do anybody any good. Absolutely. So like the self-pity, self-doubt. Oddly enough, I think of the your favorite talk, Beware of Pride, right? Where it talks about pride from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that can be pride from the bottom. The, the center, the root of that, of self-pity is, oddly enough, like pride. Like from a sense of, I deserve better or I deserve more and I'm not getting something, a blessing that I'm desirous of or like whatever. I'm not getting X, Y, Z in my life and therefore I feel whatever, a negative emotion. I think it can come from a sense of of pride for me, at least a lot of times. So it's something that I have to be on guard for. Okay, the next one. This is a big one when you're younger. At least for me, and I think for you too. The mirage that rules constrict you. That the rules are keeping you from having fun. That your parents are just trying to ruin your life. Maybe not your parents. I feel like your parents were pretty like... My parents were awesome. They like <laughs> they were so good for what I needed. They were just like, you know what? Here, you figure it out. Yeah. Like you Here's what's right and what's wrong. Like, then we give you the space to work it out. But for me, I remember a lot of times feeling like, oh, my parents are just here to ruin my life. Like, they won't let me have sleepovers. Like, I'm missing out on all the fun. And these rules are just so restricting. They're just keeping me from living my best life. And what's funny is I feel like the older you get, the more you start to realize, oh, wait, these rules, these fences... These boundaries actually protect me from not going out and doing something stupid. Let's not let teenagers drink and drive. I mean, nobody should be drinking and driving, but let's not let a 16-year-old drink because it's probably not going to be very good for their future if they start doing that at a really young age, you know, before they're an adult 
or let's not give a 12-year-old a set of car keys. I mean, there's just the rules allow you to not do stupid things so that you're able to do a lot more in life. And for so long, I just looked at rules thinking like, they're so restrictive. They're keeping me from the things that I want to do. And that mirage goes away the older you get and the wiser you get. And you realize, oh, the rules allowed me to have more choices. They allowed me to go down the paths that I wanted to go down. And had those rules not been in place, I probably wouldn't have been in a situation where these things would have been possible. Yeah, for sure. I think of like, I I loved riding bikes growing up, like doing jumps and racing and BMX bikes. And there was just this kind of like cool guy, like helmets are lame. Like, I don't want to wear a helmet because it looks dumb and I want to look cool and I look silly with a helmet on. So I like, I never wore one a lot of times and I'm doing these crazy jumps. And so after like three or four concussions, I was kind of like, okay, this is a very intelligent, like I'm tired of this happening and I'm going to start wearing a helmet. And it was one of those moments of like rules or it wasn't necessarily like a law in where I grew up to to have to, to wear a helmet. But I think a lot of situations would require that like racing your bike or whatever they would, yeah, you have to wear a helmet. But that's for me, it's like looking at it going, okay, yeah, that's such a smart rule and <laughs> like me just literally being, saves people's being, lives me, being an idiot you know like and and it's just it's just funny the thinking that goes into that but again it's just the thought process of like well it infringes on this and i want to be able to do what i want to do mm-hmm. or i want to ride my motorcycle and feel the wind through my hair i've heard somebody say this to me because there's the helmet laws in utah there's not one currently and they're like well i just want to feel the wind through my hair and have the experience and look cool or tough or whatever. And it's like, well, on the flip side of that, it doesn't really end very well if you're not wearing a helmet and you lay your bike down. So again, the mirage, I agree. Yeah. And I, I think back to the first time I just ate whatever I wanted, a whole bunch of junk food, just like went absolutely nuts. And then I mean, I feel like every kid needs to go through this. It's almost a rite of passage. You get the stomach ache and you're like, oh, that's why. <laughs> that's why my parents don't let me do that all the time. Because you feel sick after. Some of that comes with wisdom and hopefully you can figure those things out before you do too much long-term or irreversible damage, like in the instance of a helmet and a, yeah, my, and a motorcycle. Those are very intense examples of clearly hopefully intelligent and what's not yeah hopefully when the stakes are low you start to figure some of those things out but i do think that it's like a especially as a young person i just felt like rules were so stupid and frustrating and the older you get the more you like the rules the more you're like oh i love it when you always say the sad thing is that about this rule is that somebody did something (laughs) That created a need for them to have this rule. It's when you see a sign and you're like, what happened? I want to know the story behind this sign. Like there was like a, I was some video or something. There was a sign of a guy fist fighting, like with his, his hands in fighting position. And there was a polar bear in front of, or like a bear in front of him. And it was a sign. I'm like, 
okay, what? Like, don't fist, please don't fist fight the polar bears. Like, <laughs> why do we need that type of, of a sign? I'm like, what, the, what happened to necessitate that type of a sign being put? in in place we gotta put a rule in you know it's just like let the people know yeah if somebody falls out of the raft while we're rafting just please tell us you know like like it's just kind of like why why would we need to make this type of a but yeah but yeah totally ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Right, the next one is worrying helps. Oh, uh, this is one I get I get annihilated on this. I why why is that? That's so weird. It's I such think a mirage. Like, like, oh, if I just sit and if like I obsess worry enough and obsess enough about something, I by virtue of my worry and obsession, I will change the outcome. Like my my mm-hmm. my worry alone will wrest a result out of the scenario that I am wanting. I get caught in that one all the time when it's like, well, if I don't worry about it, that shows that I don't care or I'm not involved enough in what's going on. So you know what boy K Packer said once? Patricia Holland actually quoted him saying this. You can't tell me that worrying doesn't help because the things I worry about never happen. Very intelligent. Pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah, worrying. I think that it is just such a human nature thing. And I do think that so many, if not all of these things are sneaky little ways that Satan kind of turns us into his puppet. And I think that if he can get us to worry, then we're not being productive. Then we're not doing things that actually do matter. It's got to be one of the best distractions is, oh, if I can get people to obsessively worry about something that's not in their control, then they're not actually proactively doing anything. Then they're not focused. Then they're not in tune with the spirit. And I'm not saying you can't be in tune with the spirit if you're worrying, but it's a really good distraction tool for sure. And a total mirage that it's, it's an illusion of control. Yeah. That if I worry enough about something that somehow that grants me control Mm -hmm. over a scenario or a situation or an outcome. Because it feels productive. You think it's productive somehow. Yeah. Even though it's crazy. It's literally that definition of crazy doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. I don't know. Maybe if I run enough what if scenarios that I will cover all of the what ifs that are out there. And somehow I will like, I mean, I think there's a different like planning, like, okay, well, let's put in measures in place or whatever we need to do in this scenario to make sure that we have a a good outcome or protect the situation or whatever. But I think that's a lot different than like, well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if, uh, like, I I, I don't know, I think you can just what if yourself 
to death or, or future trip as we talk about mm-hmm. recovery, like worry about future events and just kind of trip out on things that haven't happened yet and, and just be, work yourself up into a crazed delirium over what if the sky falls tomorrow, what am I going to do? I think worrying, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't do what you think it will. And, and I think that in my mind, like some of the base causes of addiction, it all kind of, a lot of it boils down to fears and resentments. So fears, it's like, yeah, if, if I'm running, what if scenarios on all of the bad things that can happen tomorrow, of course, you're going to need to drink or do drugs or like have something to cure that because you're going to be in such an emotionally charged state. And if you're like that all the time, like your body, your mind, spiritually, you can only run at that rate for so long before Mm -hmm. something's going to break. If there's a tie to an addictive substance or behavior, that's, that's where really the roots of addiction are developed. And that's where the serenity prayer comes in, where you just stop and realize, I mean, I did it the other day when we were going through a major change or we were trying to make a big decision where I was like, okay, I am breaking this down to looking at what I can control, looking at what I cannot control, and then surrendering what I can't control and, and really trying to figure out the difference. That's to me where you productively move forward out through fear because you're you're going to keep feeling fear but that mirage is if i just sit and obsessively worry about it it's going to do something instead you can just rein it back in and say okay wait a minute which of these things are out of my control and you kind of surrender those you let them go and then you look at the things you can control and then you say well where do i want to make some decisions here and what can i do and the wisdom to know the difference and the ability to surrender the things you can't control, like that's the key to not living in fear and worry and wasteful worry. Yeah, those are super powerful words. I love like the, because the principles of the serenity prayer, that's basically in relation to the 12 steps, that's steps one, two, and three, which is the whole concept behind surrender, which is like, I can't, I'm relying on God and God can understanding who he is and my relationship to him as a child who God loves and he's all powerful, then I'm going to let him. So you're, you're looking at, okay, like I'm going to seek to do his will and to understand his will. And he's going to help me to differentiate between what I can and can't control. And I think that's just such a beautiful thing to dispel a lot of that. And the crazy thing is most of the time when there is a huge degree of worry, at least for me, like it's over something I can't control. And it's until I see that and let God take the reins on that, I just feel like that kid that's on the ride at, at the amusement park that's on the rails and they can't go anywhere, but they have this little wheel that makes them feel like they're turning, but they're actually not. It's the rails that's directing the car. And you're like, you see the kid spinning that wheel violently back and forth and acting like he's steering and trying to turn different directions, but he's still going in the line in the direction of the rails. It's like, I feel like that kid. I'm just trying to change things with my mind, but it's not doing anything when I don't have control over the situation. So that's when I know it's time to surrender. Yeah. And I just had a couple of 
experiences come to mind where I didn't do this well and then where I feel like I did and where I feel like I didn't do this very well was when I got hit with really bad postpartum depression. And I remember just obsessing, like, when is this going to go away? I just want it to go away. And my therapist kept telling me, the more you obsess about this, the worse it's going to get. It is not going to make it go any faster. And she was right. She's like, she just kept saying like, it's going to take as long as it takes. Just it takes as long as it takes. And the more you obsess about it, you will only prolong this. And I just couldn't understand how that was possible or how that was true, but she was absolutely right. It really only got better about a year later once I kind of just accepted it and accepted that it was part of my life. And then after I stopped trying to just obsessively think my way out of it, that's when things finally kind of started to get better. In an opposite example, I think when I was on bed rest with Bobby and there was so much at risk there. There was so many unknowns. I had lost the last two pregnancies and then had so many complications and early, early contractions and all kinds of really difficult things. Every day I just woke up and said, okay, I'm going to choose to have a positive mindset because I can control that. And then I'm going to just surrender all these other medical complications that I can't control. I'm going to do my best to follow the rules and the, and the guidelines that my doctor gave me and then let go of the outcome because I can't control it. And I feel like when people will say to me still, I mean, my sister was even saying this because she's about to have a baby. She was like, I, I just don't know how you did that. And I was like, one day at a time. And I had to just choose a positive mindset, wake up every day and say, I'm going to choose to have a good day today and just surrender all the other things that I couldn't control. And that worked. It worked just like a little one day at a time program for the six months that I had to sit in bed. And we got through it. Yeah. And it's crazy to look back on. I look back on those times and I'm like, man, it's such a blur to me. And, but the crazy thing is, is once it was done, I'm like, whoa, it's, we're there. Like it's over. Like we got through it and here we are. And even COVID, I look back, I mean, I think there's, I feel like there's just a gap in my memory of like, okay, two years are just kind of gone. And I don't really remember, like all of a sudden it's two years later. But even that, it was like, you know what? We're through it as we know. It's kind of just crazy to see that it, that things do pass and it does change. Things do get better. And if we can understand that, I think there's, I read this book in college that I think the name of it was Learned Optimism by mm. Martin Seligman. So it was a series of tests. I won't go into to really the details of it, but the basically this concept of you can learn how to be optimistic. And one of the things about, about it, one of the, the characteristics to be able to do it is this idea of permanence. Like we get caught in, in, in this thought process that whatever I'm feeling that's negative, whatever negative situation I'm in, there's this concept in our mind that's like, this is it. This is how my life is going to be for the rest of my life. This is permanent. And this feeling, this thought, whatever it is, is permanent. And dwelling in that and, and, and replaying that and what that does to our optimism. And so his whole thing is like how to break out of that. But, and maybe there are situations that are permanent or whatever, but the way that we view them or the way that we feel about them or our understanding and framing in particular of how we frame 
that challenge can totally change and and totally be different. I think of the correlation between our emotions and like the weather, how the weather, a lot of times it can be cloudy and it can feel like, man, this is just going to be how the day is and how it's going to be forever. But then it, it gets better. It clears out depending on where you live. Like the sun comes back out, it shines again. Or if it's shiny, like it's probably going to rain at some point in the future. Like it changes and that's okay. And, and that's a part of life. But the idea that it's just permanently going to be like this emotionally is most of the time not accurate. Maya Angelou said, every storm runs out of rain. There we go. Can't rain all the time, right? All right. Another mirage. This is a really good one. This is one that completely changed my business and my life and the way I think about things. And that is scarcity. There's only so much. There's only so much success. There's only so many winners. If you, I know you're smiling at me because you love those demotivators. But I know. I'm thinking of a funny demotivator about that. But Go ahead. Oh, no. It's like one of my favorites is the guys. There's there's a bunch of runners running a race. There's one guy ahead of like 15 other guys. There's like a pack of 15 and then one guy far ahead of them. And it's like for every winner, there's a dozen losers. Odds are you're one of them. <laughs> Thank <laughs> so you, Neil. just cracks me up. No, the the mirage, though, of scarcity is that if other people are succeeding, it just means that you're failing or that if other people are getting close to being at the top, then you're going to be demoted or that that means you're going to lose. And when I stopped and I realized by reading The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People where Stephen Covey so beautifully explains the abundance mindset that the pie just gets bigger and that there's plenty for everyone. There's room for everybody at the top. It really does just completely change your mindset. And it allows you to let go of things like worrying about other people copying your ideas or ripping you off or whatever. I used to get so wound up over things like that. And now I just realize it doesn't matter. And even if somebody else is doing something similar to or just like me, the people that care to hear what I'm saying or what I'm doing or that feel a connection with me, they're still going to stick around. And just because somebody else is doing something that's similar to me doesn't take away from what I'm doing. I just think that for so long, I was like, I think I see a lot of people doing this. I, I actually know of one creator, innovator, CEO who I really respect and admire, but she is obsessed with suing everybody that she thinks is copying her. And I watch her do it and I'm like, man, that's, that's so much wasted time and effort in my opinion. And maybe not, maybe, I mean, of course there are times when that's necessary. I mean, I'm, grew up with a dad as an IP attorney. So I obviously respect the need for intellectual property law. But I'm just saying that I think if you spend so much of your time worrying about everybody taking away from your success and all of that energy could have been channeled into just you doing more of what you do best. Last Mirage. This is probably the most important of all of these. You ready? 
Okay. What is it? Someday I will arrive. Someday I will just be happy and satisfied and I will wake up and life will feel so good that I will just live it and be happy. That's a pretty good one. I think it's like when a lot of times for me that manifests in the light of like, when this happens, then I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. Then I'll allow myself to be happy. And then what I've noticed is that the when this part of that equation is always like keeps changing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so as soon as you get that, then it's not enough. Well, now I got to change it. Now I got to like have something cooler to been like, well, okay, well now, now when this happens, like, okay, I got whatever. Mm-hmm. I got this type of a car. I love cars. So it's like <laughs> this car. Gosh, I'm thinking like, oh, when I get married. Stoked. Or the marriage one was big. Thank you. Like I'm glad when, that the when car I get was. married. I'm, I mean, I'm just like <laughs> a small example. But yeah, obviously that was like forever when I, cause it felt like I was single. When for I like find the person, they will complete then me and I life, be, I'll be set. Just everything will be great. I actually really thought that like you just stopped being tempted and life gets pretty easy and there are hardly any hard things after that. Isn't that so funny? <laughs> and like, and the, cause I even hear people say like, well, if we, if we could just find someone good for Johnny. Like, if we oh, could yeah. just get Johnny. She just needs a good girl. Yeah. I think that so much of my life, I thought when I get married, I'll be happy. Okay. Now we're married. Okay. When I have a baby, like that's, I will be complete as a mother. And then, It's just been one thing after another. And I think that I've spent so much of my life thinking like, oh, at some point I'm going to arrive and I'm going to wake up and everything's just going to be complete and I'm going to feel so good. And I remember listening to an interview. It was like a pretty casual interview on like BYU radio once with, do you remember who it was? Where he was like, it was one of the, apostles, like general leaders for our church who said, I just want to make it. I just want to be able to, and and this guy, you would look at this guy thinking like, dude, he has, he has proven himself. Like he has made it. He is an apostle of the Lord. But he said like, I hope I can just hang on and keep, keep the faith till the end. And it just was kind of eye opening to me to go like, wow, even someone in that position is like, I still got to keep trying. There's still a lot of life to live. There's still a lot ahead of me. And at the same time, I think that mirage of someday I'll arrive and then I'll live life and it'll be so fulfilling and I'll be so happy. My parents keep trying to tell me, Corinne, these are the best days. And I know it's true. I know that we're going to look back and like, cry about how our kids were little and we used to take them to their first day of school or to Disneyland or whatever. Now they're like too old and too cool for us. But we're just, or, or maybe for someone like my parents where they're empty nesters, but they're going to be like, man, remember when we could just go do whatever we wanted and hike for hours. And we had every option in the world of traveling and doing everything we wanted. And I just think that wherever you're at right now, this is your opportunity to live life. And if you have ears to hear and you're a living, breathing person, like this is it. It's it's today. It's now. This is your chance to arrive and show up and live in the moment. There's 
the mirage of someday you will arrive and then finally be fulfilled and happy. It's not a thing. So I hope that this helped give you some perspective and a few little golden nuggets to think about or little Twinkies like Neil says to chew on and and that you can break through some of these many mirages of life. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple podcast and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.